Yo, what's good? Welcome to Counter Currents. This is your host, Petey Steele. And your co-host, Alana Torres. And today we have a guest that I'm particularly a big fan of. Let me tell you guys a little thing before I officially introduce him. So this next guest, let me say, sometimes when you're newer in comedy and you meet someone newer as in a few years in, someone who's not only a hilarious comedian, a vet, and you go to their house. So I went to the comedy store about a year ago. I'm like seven months pregnant. You know, a comedian in common that we have uh, introduced me to this person. And this, this guest showed me around the comedy store, which is the mecca of comedy. You know, gave my husband and I a great seat. We watched him crush a late night set. And he was just the coolest guy. And that in comedy is a rare thing. So this next guest, I'm so happy he's doing our podcast. Please welcome the very funny Court McCown. Hey. Yay. Absolutely right. I am the nicest guy in, and I always trust <laughs> the late night sets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was good. It was fun. It's, it's kind of like, it's so weird to think like that place was like as crazy and as buzzing and as humming as it was. It's been closed almost a year now. I know, I know. And I'm, I feel really lucky that I was able to go at sort of the height. Cause I mean, the comedy store has been through, you know, so many highs and lows, but I feel like last year, especially, I mean, the energy there, and it was like one o'clock in the morning, but the energy there was insane. I mean, you have comics doing podcasts outside, you know, you had all the people in the back and it was just like, I think it's something we all took for granted for a long time. I, th I think so. And, and I think it'll be back. I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to obviously look different. I think right. our, our whole world is going to look different when this thing's completely over. Right. But you've had a lot of guys like, you know, Rogan's moved to Austin. You've had, you know, Theo moved to Nashville. You know, you've had some, um, you know, some unfortunate things happen to some other comics, you know, and, and that I love, you know, I mean, um, and it's like, so, I mean, we'll see, we'll see, but I mean, it's the comedy store. I've been, right. there, I've been there for 18 years. I remember when we used to go in on a Wednesday night and we'd have to wait until 1030 before we had four audience members to start the show. Right. And, you know, and then cut to, you know, last year on Wednesday night, there are three rooms sold out, you know, with two shows, you know, it's insane. So it, it, it's, it's all cycles, you know, it all cycles, but sure. the comedy store is the comedy story. It'll always be there. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's my home. I love it. So do Good. you think that's your sort of plan for, you know, this weird new normal of comedy? Are you a loyalist with it? Do you think eventually it'll come back? Or how do you feel about all these guys who are moving and saying that maybe all that's over? Um, I don't think it's over. I, I think the comedy store is, the comedy store is not, is, is never been one comic. It's never been one group of comics, you know? I mean, um, you know, I mean, I, I love Joe Rogan. I think Joe Rogan's, you know, he, he's awesome. And he was definitely there, you know, and was an integral part of the, you know, the comedy stores, you know, rise. But I also think that has to do with, you know, there was a lot of other comics that were there too. Bert Kreischer, Tom Segura, Chris D'Elia, you know, um, Whitney Cummings. Um, Joey you know, Diaz. Woo! Yeah, Joey fucking Diaz. And, you know, and, and, and the list just goes on and on and on. Tom Papa, Harlan Williams, uh, um, you know, Steve Byrne. I mean, I mean, Steve Ren is easy. I mean, you can just, you know, the names don't stop. You can't, I mean, I could keep going. Steve Simone, you could say, you know, um, Brian Moses, Tony Hinchcliffe, um, you know, I mean, just it, just the list, you know, Eliza Schlesinger. Um, you know, I mean, I could go on. Sure whole podcast yeah. is naming all the comics that perform there all the time and um you know so it will it will come back and it will be back and it'll be as strong as ever and you know it, it'll go through a phase too i mean you know i'm not i'm not a you know in my fourth year of comedy and on the you know there's people that are going to come up you know there are the guys that are that are rising now fahim anwar uh you know you've you've got all these guys that are you know starting to you know, build their huge followings and, 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 you know, and they'll, and they'll just keep getting better and better and better. I mean, there's, there's guys you haven't even seen yet that are, that are so funny. You know, there's JF Harris, there's, you know, um, 
you know, Billy Bonnell, there's just, I mean, it just goes on and on, you know, Jessica Michelle Singleton. I mean, it, it just, I could just keep going. Mm-hmm. It's that, it's sure. that plethora of, of great comedians. And, you know, and I think that, I think the difference now is that that wasn't around, you know, eight, nine years ago when it really saw its rise and it's, you know, it, and it is, is that now comedies, I mean, comedy wasn't popular. Yeah. I mean, it was popular, but it wasn't like it is now. I mean, are you kidding me? They're, they're, they're selling out shows in vans and alleys right now. You know, I mean, it's like when clubs come back, come on. You know, (laughs) you know, we, we had a, we had an opportunity at one time. I think it was back in, it was back in October, November, when the comedy store thought we had outdoor dining going and, um, and we were doing comedy through a glass window. No way. Yeah. I mean, I felt like a hooker in Amsterdam. Oh my God. It was horrible. But it was what it was what it was. But people were coming in hordes to sit on the patio. And then they they got a deal with the city. The city said, okay, you guys can put a stage up outside. You can do parking lot shows. And you know, just social distance the tables as long as it's all outside. And um, and they announced um, you know, shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. No lineup. They sold out three shows in an hour. Wow. Wow. With no lineup. Wow. No, so, I mean, when it comes back, get ready. It's going to be. Cool. Yeah. And when you start, you said you started at the comedy store 18 years ago. Is that, did you start comedy in LA or did you yeah. move and end up at the comedy store? No, I used to do, I used to do a lot of tell. I used to work in television and film. That's what I started out doing. Doing what? In front of the camera, behind the camera? In front of the camera. So I used to All do right. a lot. How old are you? Me? Yeah. You could just. Yeah. 30s? Yeah. Okay. So I used to do a lot of 80s movies. So okay. I, I was in movies that you probably never heard of. Like I co-starred in a movie called Can't Buy Me Love. And oh, then, yeah, with uh, Matthew Modine, right? No, Patrick Dempsey, but close. Shit. <laughs> I was going to say, Petey, you're usually pretty good with 80s movies. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, well. Anyhow, um, I did Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox. I used to do a, so I used to do a yeah, lot. Yeah, I remember Teen Wolf. So I used to do a lot of that stuff, and then, um, and then in two thousand one, I uh, I had a friend that said, "Man, you you should really you, you know." I always wanted to do stand up. I'd never done it, and you know, and I was in my thirties, and I was like, "Why not?" You know. So um, I took a class which I don't recommend to a lot of people, but there was a guy who taught a class and, um, and I got to be honest, he was great. It was just wow. great. It was this guy named Adam Barnhart. Who's a, uh, who's a comedy store regular. He's crazy as crazy as fuck. And um, I don't think anybody can teach stand up, but he taught you how to, how to find your voice. Mm-hmm. And then, and then what the deal was is after you did a six or eight week course, I don't even remember how long it was, then you got to perform Sunday night in the belly room at the comedy store. Mm-hmm. This is 2001. So the belly room at the comedy store in 2001 was shit. It was a shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing. And so, but I performed. Um, you know, it was what, you know, as familiar with bringer shows, it was a bringer show and, and, you know, you brought people and people came and the room was full. I, I did well, you know, I did five minutes, six minutes, whatever it was. I did well, I didn't destroy, but I did, I did well. And um, the guy said, the guy said, listen, if you want to be a part of our Sunday night, he did shows every Sunday night there. So if you want to be a part of Sunday night, he goes, you come in and You'll put the placards on the table, set up the room, put candles on the tables, and we'll give you three minutes on Sunday nights. So I started doing that. And then I started doing open mics and, you know, and then, um, you know, it just built. And then, you know, I just, I started doing my own room in the, in the belly room. You know, I started doing my own show in the belly room. Back then, anybody could, if you wanted to do a show, they'd like, I've known Pauly Shore for 30 something years. 
So I just went to Paul and I said, me and a friend of mine wanted, you know, that he knew, I said, we want to, we want to do our own show. And we started, you know, and we just, we did these shows and it built, we built that show into a bigger show. And, you know, it's just that show built into a, um, we sold it to Las Vegas and we had a show in Las Vegas for nine years. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, so that's that's how I, I got my chops is I, I, you know, started the comedy store, you know, and after about three years or three or four years, I got passed by Mitzi when Mitzi was still there. And uh, which is, I think my, my greatest accomplishment in comedy is I got passed by Mitzi short at the comedy store. And, uh, and, you know, and then, you know, start working out the comedy store and then, you know, on weekends I'd go to Vegas and, and, and work and um, you know, it's just, and here I am, fucking yeah. 18 years later. You know? And when you started coming from the acting world, I have a really similar, it's really interesting here because I have a very similar story. I started comedy when I was 30 after acting on Mexican telenovelas through my 20s. And did you feel like when you started, you had to sort of check your ego because you were co-starring in these big movies and then a comedy, nobody cares if you have credits, if you're not funny. Well, I, I think, I think that, I had worked a lot in the eighties and not in the nineties. So my ego was pretty fucking smashed already. But no, the one thing that was great for me was I had done so much theater. I was a, I was an actor, right. you know, right. I, so I, was I, I, you know, I, I did, you know, I did Shakespeare and, you know, right. I did theater and, you know, and everything. So it's like the one thing that I think helped me was I wasn't afraid to be in front of a live audience, like being in front of an audience, you know, didn't bother me, you know, and still doesn't bother me. Um, You know, I mean, obviously, if you're eating shit, it doesn't feel good. But, you know, I've had nights on stage, you know, doing a show where I've completely fucked up and and it's like and, and you and you don't get to leave after 10 minutes you're there on stage for another hour or you know however long it is and you know so being in front of people and you know and and failing was never really a a problem for me right and then you know the other thing too is is you know being at the comedy store and and doing the you know original room there it's one of the hardest rooms i've i've ever done you know ever and i think maybe Maybe like Gotham in New York might be as difficult of a room. And, and I, and I don't mean that it's, and I don't mean by, it's just that it's not a local room. Yeah. You know, when you're in the original room at the comedy store, it's not a local room. You can't, you know, you can't go in there and talk about, you know, LA things and, you know, you can, but not everybody's, going to get it. You've got people there from all over the country and all over the world. This is the same as New York and, um, you know, Gotham, those clubs. And I find that, you know, some of those rooms are harder. And when you, when you hone your, you know, your skills or whatever you want to call it in a room like that, then when you go other places, you don't feel as much pressure, I guess is a good one. Sure. Would you say like the way you describe the original room and then Gotham, they sound more like tourist attractions almost. And would you say that's apt or not really? Well, I mean, I, I would say that I, I don't, I wouldn't call it a tourist attraction because um, I, I don't think it's a touristy type, you know, atmosphere. I guess they're comedy fans, but right. I, th- I think when you're in there, um, you know, you got to make them laugh. It, it like what, like the difference is Gotham is lit. You know, you can you can see the first rows and the comedy store in the original room. You can see the front row and maybe a little beyond that. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all. It's a black room. The lights are bright, and you're up there. It's not a big stage, and um, it's a rough room, man. It's and it's a and especially like, you know, like you're saying, like I do a lot of late night, you know, I don't have a lot of TV credits compared to some guys. So I'm not going on at 10 o'clock, you know, I'm going on at 1130, 1145. And, 
you know, they're tired and, you know, and, and you got to work and, and it's like, and people, you know, I mean, it's like, that's when you get like, fuck yeah, get, you know, if I can kill, if I can, if I can do well, shouldn't say kill, if I can do well at 1145 on a Wednesday night in the original room, there's no room in the country that I can't walk in and feel comfortable, comfortable with. Yeah, I think I'm, I agree. I think late night sets in general, that's what separates sort of like the men from the boys of comedy, you know, because when people are tired, they've already laughed a bunch. If the show's been great, it's harder because they've almost, they've already laughed a bunch. And by the time it gets to you, if you're later, it's like, sometimes it's hard to get the last laugh out of it, right? Just, it's just, they're tired. Yeah. And you've got, you know, drunks and, you know, or whatever it is. So yeah. it always, it always, you know, it's just not an easy room, you know? And do you think maybe it's, it's harder because the bar there is set so high because it's the comedy store, because people have this idea that people go in and are like. No, I don't think so. I just think it's just a, it's just a tough room. Yeah. Tough. It always has been. As long as I've been there, it's always been the, you know, it's my favorite room, but it might be one of the toughest rooms in, in comedy. Yeah. yeah. The comedy store just had just had a big loss, right? Jeff, the piano player. Did you know him? Yeah, I knew Jeff well. That was really sad. You know, yeah. Jeff was one of those guys, you know, we had a Zoom memorial for him um, and it was fantastic. Brian Holtzman, just, I love Brian Holtzman. And, you know, Holtzman was in there and all the, a lot of employees, a lot of people, you know, that, you know, shared great stories. And, and Jeff was, so Jeff, so there's a piano that sits next to the stage in the original room. And Jeff would play every comic on stage and off stage. And he would announce who the next comic was because the original room's different than a lot of other clubs in the sense that we have a show every night that starts at nine o'clock and it goes till 2 a.m. And it's one continuous show. So there's not a show from nine to 10, 10 to 11. There's a different comic every 15 minutes from nine o'clock until two o'clock in the morning. And that's just the way it goes. And some people, you know, so it, it just goes like, that. and then you have pop-ins and, you know, there's some great video of him with Dave Chappelle and, you know, with so many other people over the years. And, and, and Jeff was just one of the sweetest, you know, he was an, he was an entertainer. But he was just one of the sweetest guys. And, you know, and, um, you know, and he was gay, which was fun. And you could, you know, you, you know, you could just give him shit all the time. But he had uh, one of my favorite stories about him was, is, uh, you know, when I was fairly new and uh, so um, he, uh, sorry, an email just popped in. Um, so when I was fairly new, I probably had about four years, four or five years sober. And, um, and he, uh, and so he used to, Carlos Mencia would come in and Carlos Mencia would come in he would bump people and when you bump you you know it, it would you know sometimes you in an hour hour and a half you know it, and it depends you know just the way he was and he was just a douche and uh he was a douche back then i i have talked to him in a long time so i'm not saying you know i'm not commenting on his personality or his 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 character now but at that time he was a real douche <laughs> come in and he would but what happens is you have to, you know, he would go check in at the front. Carlos would, would go in to Tommy, who was the, the booker at the time. He'd say, Tommy, I want to go up. And so he'd go, okay, go tell Jeff. And so you have to tell Jeff because Jeff tells the comic on stage who the next comic is. And so, um, but Jeff would see Carlos come in and Jeff would know I was next. And he, and he knew what that meant. And Jeff was such a sweet guy. Jeff would, would avoid Carlos. So he would run around and he would hide. He would hide in parts of the comedy store because you know, it was empty. You know, the rooms weren't filled everywhere and he would hide so Carlos couldn't find him. <laughs> so Carlos wouldn't, you know, uh, so Carlos wouldn't do that. And, and so, and then Jeff would just bounce in the room. He'd sit behind the piano and go, oh, next is Court McCowan, you know? And, and it was, you know, it's like, and Carlos was a douche but he wasn't such a douche that he would yell, no, 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 it's me, it's me. He wanted to be announced as this great, you know, right. this thing. And, and um, 
so he would do shit like that. And, um, and he even did it one time where I probably had, I had a little more time. I probably had six, six or seven years. Carlos came in and, and, uh, and Jeff avoided him and Carlos waited inside the original room for Jeff. And when Jeff came in, he grabbed Jeff and he goes, uh, Tommy says, I can go next. I'm going to, I'm next. And Jeff goes, well, I already told court he's next. So you tell court. Carlos came to me and he goes, Hey, I'm going to go next. I go, Oh, that's cool. I'll go home. And he goes, why, man? I go, cause you're going to do 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And it's already 1145. I'm not waiting till one o'clock, you know? And he goes, I'm not going to do that. And I go, <laughs> and I just go, look me in the eye. And as a man, tell him <laughs> you're not going to do 45 minutes. I go, you're going to do, you're going to do your 15 minute bump. And he goes, he goes at the most 18. Yeah. <laughs> and he did 18 minutes. Really? Oh, wow. He gave me a shitty intro, but he did 18 minutes. But he used to do that, man. He was, he was not the, the friendliest, you know, it was whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, anybody in comedy has, has heard the stories, I think, and heard yeah. you're not the first to say that he's was yeah, kind I'm of a, a I'm not, not commenting on his character today. I'm right. just commenting on his character. Um, you know, that's it. You know, that's all, that's all I'm saying. Right. All and saying. you said when you, you were, you were sober when you started comedy. Yes. We, Petey and I are also both sober. Um, so yep, yep. Think sobriety was part of your decision. hundred percent. So the guy that got me into it was a guy uh, uh, that introduced me to the class was a guy and the teacher was sober as well. So, oh, nice. so it was kind of this kind of cool, like, you know, and, and I think, you know, I think part of it had to do with, um, you know, I just, you know, at that time, you know, I was just kind of in a place where I was like, I'm ready for some, something new. Right. I was ready for change. And I, and I think I had probably maybe seven months sober. Mm-hmm. something like that you know maybe something like that i think i started 2001 or 2002 i got sober in 2001 mm-hmm. so i'm a little over 19 plus years sober so congratulations that's great that's awesome and do you think there were points i mean i'm sure it's both but do you think there were points where because it became comedy was part of what sort of the beginnings of your sobriety do you think it helped to keep you sober or do you think there were parts where it was like really hard where you're at comedy parties or whatever and you have to just be like i gotta get out of here um you know i i gotta just say that you know the truth is is that when um when i got sober i was done you know i didn't get sober 22 you know i i got i got sober much you know i got sober much later and when i was done i was done and I don't look at, you know, I mean, do I miss smoking a joint, you know, with the guys in the back? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, but it doesn't mean I can't hang with the guys in the back. I mean, are you kidding me? I, I'm on the road with, you know, rent is easy. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, um, you know, I'm on the road with guys that smoke weed and drink and, you know, and, and, and I love being around these guys. It's, it doesn't, it just doesn't bother me. You know, it's like, it just doesn't bother me. Um, you know, it, I can, I, it, it feels good to say I've never been on stage drunk or high. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, when I was done, I was done the same way. I'd been sober about four years and it was just a dare that got me into comedy and it fucking, a, it worked. I didn't believe it for the first month. And then I was like, okay, this seems cool, but I enjoy yeah, hanging around with people doing that stuff. Because like you say, when you're done, you're done. That means you're done. You know, it's not as tempting as like if you're just kind of, you know, yeah. testing water. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it's I just I, I don't think I don't think one affects the other. You know, I, I really don't. You know, and, you know, and there's a lot of comics that are, you know, you know, I did a show in Vegas for nine years. And, you know, there were a lot of guys that came out there that, you know, were sober, you know, yeah. and. and so, you know, I've met some great guys, you know, in comedy that, you know, 
that don't drink, you know, don't drink and use. And, and it's like, um, you know, and there's some that do that. I don't, I, I don't really know of any guys that are successful in this, in this business that, that I would say, you know, have a problem. Right. Let's put it that way. Right. And do you think that's a difference sort of with being in this business now versus, you know, maybe in like the eighties, early nineties, you have like, or like the Sam Kinnison's and sort of these people where that was such a big part of their persona. Do you think that something nowadays that, what is it that nowadays just doesn't really allow for that? Well, I don't think that it, I shouldn't say that it doesn't allow for that. I'm sure it allows for right. that. I just don't think, I just don't think that it translates. Uh, it, I think, I think comedy's risen a, a bit. I think if you look at, you know, the guys I look up to, you know, the guys that, you know, Bill Burr, you know, Bill Burr is a great example. I mean, that guy, I mean, you know, that guy doesn't go on stage drunk, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, as much as Burt Kreischer is the, is the, you know, the, you know, the machine, Burt Kreischer's not drunk on stage, you know, Burt Kreischer is, you know, I mean, he likes to have a drink, you know, it's like, you know, Joe Rogan smokes weed, Joe Rogan's, you know, it's like, I, I respect them so much, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and it's just that thing. It's like, just because I can't do it doesn't mean other people can't do it. You know, I, I, I just, I, I think a lot of times people get the wrong idea about, you know, about people that are so, you know, that, that don't, you know, it's like, it's yeah. like, I think someone said the other day, it's like, it's like, oh, you don't like drugs. It's like, no, no, I like drugs way more than you like drugs. <laughs> you like drugs. I really like drugs. I like drugs a lot more than you do. And it's, um, but, you know, I mean, you look at the guys that, you know, that, that used to kind of drink heavy that, you know, kind of got to levels of success that, you know, tapered it off and, you know, and don't really look at Dave Attell, who's probably one of the, the greatest joke writers in our, in our lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and, and Dave, you know, Dave's, Dave's a great example of just what a great work ethic, you know, and, you know, I was lucky. I was so lucky that, you know, um, Jeff Ross kind of took me under, you know, Jeff Ross and Dave Attell kind of took me in a couple of years ago and they let me start opening the bumping mics tour. Oh and, God, uh, that, that I only saw the Netflix series. Yeah. God, that was so funny. It was, so it was funny. maybe the funnest, you know, we, I got to, we were doing theaters when uh, the pandemic hit and we got to do some theaters together and, I got to go on the road with those guys and, you know, it's one of the highlights of my, you know, my years in comedy is getting to to work with these guys, not just because of, you know, getting to do theaters and, you know, cause I'm not selling out theaters, you know, they're selling out theaters, but, but the generosity of those two guys that would, you know, come in and they would they would bring me on the road and they would treat me like you know they wouldn't treat me any different than they treated each other and you know and they would you know they'd go court go go up and you know open the show and do do what you know what do you want me to do 20 they go no do a half hour he goes if you're really rolling you know do a little more you know do it do you know you'll feel it you'll know you know and it's like and that's just I just love guys like that and and, you know, and, and I was lucky I got, you know, I got taken on the road by Dice. Dice took me out for a little while. You know, Bobby Lee took me out for a while, um, Harlan Williams. And then, you know, now I get to go out with friends like Ren Azizi and Steve Byrne. And, you know, I still go out with Harlan every now and then. And it's like, and, and it's not that, that they come out and they treat me as some opener or something. It's just, you know, it's like I, the reality of this world, you know, the reality of comedy is I don't have a name that sells a ton of tickets. I just don't, you know, it's just the way it is. And it's like, um, and so, you know, I'm still not in that, like, I haven't got to that next, I'll get there. You know, yeah. the, about comedy, the great thing about comedy is that there's no age, you know? Yeah. Lewis Black, look at anybody that, you know, it's, it doesn't have an age limit. So if you're funny, you're funny. For sure. Well, in terms of growth like that, I mean, is there any particular 
metric that you use to kind of measure growth? I mean, in terms of like some people say they take it like a marathon versus a sprint, but is there any way you gauge progress over a long period of time? Because for some people it can take a lot longer or I don't know. What do you say? I just go through, I, I go through peaks and valleys. It's just like, sometimes I, you know, it, it has a lot to do with writing. I go through long, hard slumps of writing and it's where, you know, I don't, I just don't get that much new stuff. I try new stuff. It just, it, it's like, I kind of, I'm more of a storytelling comic. I like to tell stories. I'm not a setup, you know, punch guy. I, I don't, you know, do quick jokes. Um, so it's kind of hard, hard. It, I shouldn't say it's hard. It's just, and, and part, you know, I don't want to say lazy. I'm not lazy about it. It's just, if it doesn't inspire me, why would it inspire an audience? And so I, I've, you know, this last year has been really tough to find stuff that is inspiring to talk about because I don't want to go do a bunch of pandemic jokes. No. Yeah. I'm not has, there, has there been anything that you've been able to, I mean, cling is the wrong word that you've ever been hold on to that's helped you with some inspiration this year? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's shit. It's just me neither. <laughs> you know, it's like I see people like I won't do Zoom. I won't do Zoom calls. Yeah. I hate it. It's horrible. I, I um, you know, I there's been some there's been some parking lot shows in LA, you know, people do in front of part, you know, in the cars and I'm not saying I it's just it's not it, it hasn't been something I've been like oh my God, I've got to get on the parking lot shows. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, yeah. I, I was fine telling jokes, you know, and through a glass to people on the patio. And the funny thing was, is I went from March until I think it was August before I started, I even told a joke. Yeah. And that's the longest I'd gone in 18 years. Yeah. And it was, um, and it was hard. It was hard. I, I ate shit for the first, you know, three, four nights. And, you know, and now they shut it back down in November. So it's been, it's been two and a half months since I've been on, you know, been up again. And, but I do find now I'm kind of, you know, I'm getting a little better at, you know, doing little notes and, you know, and I don't feel like, um, you know, we'll see. We'll yeah. See. You know, well, I, I, mean, I, think, I think too, a lot of the comics now that are, you know, you'll hear not a lot, a few comics will be like, I've been writing. It's like, how do you write when you can't go bring it to the stage? Like stuff, comedy in your head, like it gets stale. It's not the same. You have to try stuff. Oh, I've had so many jokes I've written down that were such pieces of shit when they went on stage. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, it's like some guy that's never done comedy looking in the mirror at a bar telling jokes, thinking he could do it, you know? Yeah. Luck, you know? But it's, yeah, I think, I think we'll see, we'll see what, um, you know, we'll see. I, I think it's going to come back. I think it's going to come back strong. I think it's going to yeah. be as good as ever. And I think the crowds are going to be, you know, they're, they need it, you know? They're yeah. I think that that's going to, you know, I think that's going to be real positive and, you know, I just think everything's going to be okay. I just think we've got to get through, you know, we've got to get through this, you know, and, and I, and I think as you know, you know, I think it's, it's hard because I think they're the, the hardline people that are, you know, especially people that are susceptible to this, you know, I mean, you know, I've lost friends, you know, I've lost friends, you know, it, through this thing. And, and it's, it's difficult, you know, and it's like, you know, some people, get it and are okay. You know, they get the COVID and they're okay. They're, you know, you know, and there's some people that struggle for months with it. Mm -hmm. die from it. And it's not, and it's not everyone that's 75 and, you know, but there's people that have opinions and, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people are in Austin, Texas doing shows and it's, you know, it's wide open and maskless and, you know, and it's like, Billy. And I'm not judging, you know, it's like that, if that, if you're comfortable, cool. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't know that, you know, I've made it this far. 
I think I might hang on a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you bring a, a good point, though, because I think in the beginning, it was really easy to judge people for, at least for me, for like their behavior of not following COVID guidelines. But over time, it's like, look, this is hard and shitty for everyone. If you want to make a certain choice, I don't think judgment is the way to approach it the right way. I think we kind of have to look at ourselves as individuals and be like, do I want to take a risk or not? Yeah. True. Yeah. You know, then again, I look at the newspaper and I see the lung comparisons between people wearing masks, chronic smokers, and then the fucking guys that are recovering from like a month of COVID. And it's like, holy shit, this is terrible. And I think the whole thing is, is it's not, you know, you you just got to take a stance where it's like, hey, man, you know, you're I'm not judging you. Do what you want to do. You know, it's just that, you know. Don't walk in a Trader Joe's without a mask if they're asking you to wear a mask. And don't be a dick about it. Yeah. You know? It's like, if, yeah. and I think that's the difference in, you know, the comics going to Austin and doing that, or if someone asked them to put a mask on, they put a mask on. 100%. And it's like, you know, and there's, there's cities that are doing comedy, you know, there's places that are doing it. And, you know, and I think there's, you know, some comics, it's like, you know, they, they need, you know, they need to work and yeah. damn it, God bless them if they can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when these people you'll see shows and it's hard as a comic, not to get like that FOMO sometimes where you'll see people doing shows. You're like, man, should I be doing that? But then you think about, well, could I die? Is it worth it? Not really. I mean, but it depends. Yep. You know, some people, that's more important well i i just think yeah i think it's like i think you know if you were 25 and yeah be different you know yeah i'm a little over 40 what and, yeah <laughs> and i just and it's like i'm not you know i mean it's like i've got to travel some for you know to do stuff but it's like you know i wear i wear a fucking i wear a mask and then i wear another thing over it it's like oh. i'm like you know, right. I carry like white. I mean, it's like, I'm like a little weird. It's like, I, but so far so good. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. You know? Yeah. I'm the same when, when the outdoor shows started, I would bring, you know, my own mic or mic covers and a mask and gloves to yeah. the shows. And I, you know, I would get looks sometimes and it would definitely be harder to get laughs that way. But I was like, look, I just need to practice being in front of people mm-hmm. on a stage and you know, if this looks ridiculous, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be cool too, is, is I think, you know, once the, you know, the, we get through winter, yeah. you know, when we get back into some spring, you know, there'll be rooftop shows and outdoors and parks and, you know, and those, yeah. those are great, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll come, they'll, they'll sprout up. And then, you know, I think by, you know, May, June, we might start seeing some indoor shows if the vaccinations get through and, you know, yeah, and, you know, who knows? Yeah. I, I I'm I'm like to the point now where I just go I don't know you know I I, I don't know if, yeah if I, I think we all are don't estimate how things are gonna go like I've got all my future predictions how, how to, as to how this thing has gone I've been totally wrong so every just, day is a dance yep. yeah exactly so I just kind of like you know but you know I I've been I'm 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 optimistic about the future so let's just put it that way. I'm very optimistic about the future. So I think, you know, I, I, I hope everybody stays, you know, healthy and gets through this and, you know, we come out the other side and, you know, I just feel bad for some of the clubs that have, you know, you know, that have, that have taken a big hit, you know, cause there's been some clubs that, you know, obviously like Cap City and Austin's closed for good, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, one of our home clubs is gone forever now. So. Yeah, one of the two that's related to this podcast because there's DC Draft House and Arlington Draft House, and the DC had to close down. Oh, why? Come on, guys, open back up. Yeah. This thing, wait till this is over and open it back up. Yeah. Get a new location. Yeah. You know? You'll do it's. It's you know I miss the Draft House. I like that place a lot. Draft House was a yeah. fun. That was a fun gig. You know. Yeah. That was a fun gig. I like that. I got to do that. I think I did that with Pablo Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Did that with Pablo. 
-hmm. And I was trying to get there for New Year's Eve with Renazizi, but I ended up getting stuck in LA. Oh, yeah. Making that trip was like, I was like, I'm not going to LA to DC on the, it was an expensive flight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the gig will cost you money. You won't make money. Yeah, that's like, right. but you know, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. But you guys have an exciting day today in D.C. with the inauguration of a new president. You know, the the fucking orange dude's gone. Yeah, we are. We're pumped. I'm. I'm so excited. Like, I know. All I want to know is what the letter he left said. I wonder if it just. I know, right. Fuck it. I won. Yeah. I won. <laughs> I think that's like I. I don't think he wrote him any. I mean, I mean or just like, like a picture of a dick. Like I like I can imagine like you know the old school drawn dicks. Like yeah, I think yeah. I I just I I would be really curious. Like you yeah. know, then again, he's off Twitter, so he can't really. I know. Yeah, I mean, dude, why that guy didn't get kicked off Twitter? two years three and a half years ago he should have gotten kicked off twitter while he was running for president the first time because there was so much dangerous stuff and at that point that was like new you know so like when he was first running why weren't people like this is dangerous let's just cut him off instead of give him more spotlight which is how he ended up where he was giving him four years to build a very large white supremacist uh you know following but yeah but oddly enough man they're I was surprised. I, I'm still to this day surprised at how many women and you know uh, people of color that that believe in this guy. And I'm just like, are you fucking insane? And, I, I see, see, yeah. And I believe it. With women, I believe it because so many women vote with the man that they're with which is all I think part of the patriarchy of wanting to be desirable to men. I think a lot of women just want to seem desirable to these, you know, white supremacist type guys that they're with or the kind of guys who vote for that they're with, that they're not, because I think as a woman, if you have a lot of independent thought, I mean, how could you, how could you pick somebody who grabs you by the pussy? I don't know, but maybe that's just me. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, I remember when they were, when they were, the election was going on and they were interviewing people. There was a, they were interviewing a woman in, I think she was in Ohio. Mm -hmm. and she was a school teacher and she, you know, made a decent living and, or no, maybe it wasn't even school. I can't remember. She made a decent living and whatever it was. And she was a Trump supporter. And her whole thing was, is like, okay, so I don't really like the, what he says, but I like what he does. And it's like, Watching yeah, women change at the I, universe I, pageant? That's a really cool thing he does. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I still don't get it. It's like, yeah. you know, I just think, um, I, I just hope that, you know, the world is in a, you know, better place. I mean, I still think the cancel culture of this country needs to be shut the fuck down. Oh, yeah. We've talked yeah, about yeah, that yeah. a lot on this podcast. In yeah. depth. I mean, we'll see. But I mean, at, at least, you know. I mean, who knows? I, I, I just, I'm so well, tired. I, I think, you know, as a lifelong member of the left, which is a pretty broad swath with a lot of degrees that, you know, we're going to have to realize that we're going to have some imperfect allies and yeah. we're going to have to suck it up. And we used to be a party about, you know, more redemption. Everybody didn't have to be perfect to join and to progress. And I feel like we've neglected that for, likes and social media currency um to our detriment and that's one part of the lesson is this last four years yeah but i mean you look at like i mean i mean bill burr's a great example he says what's on his mind and you know and and it was funny because i was watching the tiger documentary the other night and you know and burr had a burr had a bit on the documentary so Obviously, what you know, it's like speak in your mind if you're funny, mm -hmm. it's okay, you know. It's yeah. just, I think, uh, you know, I think cheap shots, um, are a little harder to, you know, to justify. Um, but I think well crafted material, um, always wins out, so yeah. And Burr yep. is like the king of that, it's just, it's too funny to 
to get canceled. Like that SNL monologue that he did, like so many people wanted to come at him, but it was just too funny. I think everyone agreed, like, sorry. Yeah. <sighs> it was great. It was just the best. It was the best. So what else, guys? Come on, what else you got? <laughs> what else we got? God, it's a, hold on, I need to turn a light on. There we go. Whoa. Uh, what else we got? You know, hanging out with my in-laws. The army's on my corner. I'm excited for the army to leave tomorrow. You think they'll leave tomorrow? They are. They're leaving tomorrow at 6 a.m. So, but it all depended how calm things got today, which is why, like, I had the news on all day and it all looked, like, nice and boring. So that means at 6 a.m. tomorrow they'll leave. But it, it was weird. I it bet was- you they'll stick around all about noon. That 6 a.m. is like a lie buffer just to get people to act up at 6.01 and then we'll make 80 more arrests and then they'll go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I I'll hope that's the afternoon. Happened. I'll wait till the afternoon to go home. But that was that was weird. I've never, you know, I've never experienced that where you're walking around with, you know, these army guys with 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 guns like next to your house. And the day one, you're like, whoa, cool. You know, you kind of get it's kind of like a car accident, you know, where you can't keep your eyes off it. You're like, what? But after like day three. You're just kind of like this guy. And they're all very nice, by the way, the National Guard, all very nice guys. But after day three, you're like, I don't need you, you know, watching me, you know, go, go to Whole Foods. Like it's, it's crazy. I love DC was such a fun time. My buddy, I have a buddy lives there, John Wheeler and and Wheeler took me, uh, you know, we went and we picked me up and we went to the, we did the whole like little tour, but we did it at night. Oh, it's beautiful at night. It was so cool to go to like the Lincoln Memorial at night. And I have these great photos of the, because there's nobody there. No. It was like six people. It was, I think we were there in, we were there in December or January. Mm-hmm. So it was cold, mm-hmm. but it was, it wasn't ridiculous. And, um, and we got to go around and I got to see all this stuff and, and it got to walk up there and it was like, and it was so cool to be there. And what a great city with so many monuments and, you know, and it's like, it's just awesome. And I just, uh, you know, I miss it. I can't wait till it's like all, uh, you know, I, I, I just can't wait till this shit's over. Yeah. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause I've lived here my whole life and I take it for granted. Sometimes I've seen probably 40% of the different monuments, museums, but then there's always stuff that's, you know, in other parts of town or you don't think about you pass it day in day out and i need to be better about that so yeah, dude i just saw the griffith observatory the other day for the first time and i've lived in la for 35 years i mean i've, <laughs> I've seen it i've just never driven up and been in you know and like walked around and you know done the whole thing but you know yeah i think that's similar like a lot of times when you live in a city there's so much stuff that you don't see like i've moved around a lot and i always see the most in a city like the week before i leave because it's like oh shit i've lived here for how long i gotta go see x y and z that you're supposed to see i I think everybody's that way i i knew these i knew this couple they were college students i was i was young and i had done a movie for uh an international movie for italy Mm -hmm. and and these and this couple these they were he was the lighting guy and she was like a, you know, wardrobe person anyway. And they lived in Rome and I went to visit them. I went to, I went to do a, a, a project in, uh, in Rome and I was there and they invited me over for dinner and I was, and they lived like half a mile from the old city, like the Colosseum. And there's, and there's a old, whole old city that's underground, you know, wow. there's all these tunnels and all this stuff that you can go. And I was like going like, hey, we should, you know, you guys, why don't you guys take me and show me around? They go, we've never been. And so I, we went, the the three of us and went on this like tour and they had never been to the Colosseum. They'd never been. And we did this whole like tour of Rome and it was so fun. But it's just like you said, they lived there, you know, lived there their whole lives. Yeah. Never, you know, seen it. So it was so fun. That's awesome. Yeah, DC is also great. I say this all the time. I mean, it's pandemic now, but it's also, I think, one of the greatest places to start doing comedy because people here, they love it. They go, they go to shows and they don't care about a name. You know, they're like, oh, there's a comedy show at the bar down the street from me. I'll go. 
great. And so you get to start doing like full rooms. I mean, really early, which I started doing comedy in between here and New York. And just the difference, because I thought when I moved here, I moved here and, and that's when I started doing comedy. I was like, oh, obviously DC is not going to have a comedy scene. I also didn't realize you had to do comedy like every day. I was like, oh, I, I'm just going to go to New York like once a week on the bus and do some shows and come back. And then I realized you need to do comedy more than that. The second I started doing shows here, I mean, we're really lucky. Like stuff's really packed, you know? And I think, I think that's really helped with my skill as a comedian. And I'm sure PD would say the same thing. Like as an amateur, Absolutely. when you're an amateur starting comic, you get real feedback really quickly. So I think awesome. it's a cool city in that sense too. Yeah. I love DC. It's I've always enjoyed the crowds there. It's like one of those cities. I mean, you know, go no further than Chappelle you know yeah right <laughs> yeah it's like you got great clubs there you got the draft house you've got you know you've got the oh, the dc improvs of world famous you know mm -hmm. one of the better rooms you know it's like when people talk about great rooms and you know in cities you know there's great comedy cities you know new york obviously la you've got dc you've got you know denver has got one of the you know the you know the comedy works in denver yeah <laughs> That's what everybody says. Everybody who comes to to Draft House that tours, they always say that Denver is one of the best place places yeah. that they performed it. It's that that it's that downtown club. It's just just a sick setup. You go downstairs. It's old, you know, and it's you know it's dank and it's like not it's not fancy. It's what makes the comedy store like you know such a great club. Is it's not very nice, mm -hmm. you know, nothing fancy. And, uh, you know, it's just a black room with chairs and, but man, is it awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, we want to thank Court for doing this episode with us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much on this inauguration day. Uh, we really appreciate it. And where can people get at you? They, all my social media is my name, C-O-R-T-M-C-C-O-W-N. And uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that shit's there. My website, same thing. And, um, you know, I, it's, you know, I kind of, I was doing, I'm kind of getting ready to revamp and redo a new podcast. So I'm not going to say anything about that yet, but, you know, that's kind of going to start putting something together with that. But, um, and I think, I think in end of February, I'm going to be in Providence with Steve Renazizi. So awesome. Hopefully that, hopefully that's still going on. Mm -hmm. I love our new president, but don't fuck shit up. <laughs> fuck up our lives now, man. Don't, don't fuck shit up, man. You're in there. You know, you'll have a whole different group of people storming the steps, man. You know, be waving rainbow flags going, get out here. Damn you. <laughs> get out here, Joe. We're angry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> give us a wave something come outside bring kamala with you come yeah <laughs> well, you guys are awesome man thanks so much for asking me to be here today oh hey thanks for doing Our it pleasure thanks for doing it of course guys of course let me know when it's up we will yes hey. sir yeah you guys take care